if I could pick one little thing and be the person to go to for that thing, I'd have no competition. And no competition means high margins. It means you can charge pretty much whatever you want. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. Luke, welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. Stay Paid HQ, Highly Quarantined, episode, what, seven from quarantines in our no, office? No, dude, we're, we're up to like 10 now. Okay, I, I lose count. Like See, with quarantine, you just lose count. You don't know what day it is, anything like that. Yeah, no, this is like the 10th episode. But we're going to skip a lot of the preamble because we have an amazing interview. I have to admit, I, I don't normally get nervous for interviews. I got a little nervous before this interview because this is somebody that I've been following for so long. I've got, I've got... Four of his books right here. These books have gone through our company multiple times in terms of reading about branding and really just everything that he's been focused on teaching people over the last couple of decades here. His name is Marty Newmeyer. He is the author of nine books, including his transformative whiteboard overview series, books on branding that include The Brand Gap, Zag, The Designful Company, and The Brand Flip. His books have been hailed as revolutionary by the likes of Business Week, Harvard Business Review, and Fast Company. His first book, The Brand Gap, has influenced more than 23 million readers. And as follow-up to that, Zag has been named one of the 100 best business books of all time. He currently serves as Director of CEO Branding at Liquid Agency, spending his time speaking all over the globe about the role of creativity and innovation in the creation of relevant and meaningful brand experiences. Marty, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Good to, good to meet you guys. Hi, Luke. Hey, Marty. Marty, it is awesome to have you. Like Josh said, we're super excited. Super excited to pick your brain today on the episode of just branding and building a brand, but for service-based you know, professionals, smaller people. Like We have a lot of real estate agents that listen to this, a lot of insurance agents. And how do you translate these principles on building a brand if you're not a 400, you know, Fortune 500 company? But if you could take just a little bit of time and give your background, you know, how you got to where you're at, what led you to writing all these books, get a little, give a little bit of history of your life to the people so they can understand kind of what brought you to where you're at today. Yeah, okay. I, was, uh, I started out as a owner of a service business in my early 20s, a graphic design service. So in the beginning, it's just you, you know, you start out, you get some clients and <laughs> can get some jobs, you learn how to bill, <laughs> those kinds of things. And eventually you can hire people and you grow a business. So that's what I did until I was 60. So that whole time was a great learning experience for selling, for, you know, managing a business and all that. And along that path, I started to understand that selling is a lot easier if you have a strong brand. Mm. Now, that's how I think about it now, but I wasn't thinking that that's what the word brand meant. I just thought what you need is to be positioned properly against your competitors. And so it took me a long time to figure out how far you have to push that to make it really work. And then when you make it work, how powerful that is. You know, I, I probably didn't really figure it out until I was 40 years old. So that was like, you know, 15, 20 years into my business life, I realized that this is like the most powerful principle there is. You have to be the only at something. That's really counterintuitive for people because, you know, we, we, we learn to do what we do by watching other people 
people, you know, then trial and error and so forth. But we're always looking at other people to see how they do it. And if you mimic what other people do, you'll find a certain amount of success. You know, you'll feel like, oh, I'm making progress. But you're never going to get where you want to go if you keep doing that. <laughs> you actually have to do something different than they're doing. And that takes some, you know, courage, vision, all the kinds of things that are a little bit more rare in the world. But you can learn how to do those. And so, um, you know, for me, it kind of the epiphany came when I was being a graphic designer in a small town and really not getting very far because the budgets weren't there. The, you know, the clients were too small and I couldn't seem to attract clients from larger cities. So I decided, well, I have to specialize more. I figured that much out. It's like, what I have to do is own something, right? And up to that point, I was kind of a jack of all trades. Mm. I could I could do anything in that design area. I could do advertising or trademark design or annual reports or, you know, all kinds of things, ad campaigns. And nobody really wants that from you. <laughs> I mean, they like, they like a low price. And so what you're doing is you're giving them a low price because you're competing against everybody in the world, right? If you're doing the same thing as everybody else, the main way you differentiate yourself is you come in a little lower or you're a little bit friendlier or you're there first. It's just these sort of small little wins you can have. And then I found out, well, if, if I could do something or say something that no one else can do or say, then price is not the issue. Then it's more like, do they want what I have or not? And if they do, they're going to pay the price. And it could be a lot more. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was huge for me. And I mean, the, 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 the financial difference was stunning. <laughs> and I think I, I sort of edged my way to it. The first thing I did is I moved to Silicon Valley and I positioned myself as the only graphic design service that focuses only on high-tech companies at a time when no one else wanted to do that. If you can believe there was a time, there was a time when graphic designers said, oh, technology, ugh. And I said, technology, cool, what is it? You know, I want to I help them. I wanna, they say, it sounds really creative. It sounds cool and new. So I moved there and did that and, and made a lot of progress. But then I realized that you can make more progress by narrowing your focus. Like instead of trying to do everything for technology companies, if I could pick one little thing and be the person to go to for that thing, I'd have no competition. And no competition means high margins. It means you can charge pretty much whatever you want and people will just fall in line. It's just it's so easy. You know, I mean, I grew up selling stuff my whole life as a kid, you know, and it was always hard, unpleasant kind of work, you know. I, I was a shoe shine kid at the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> independent contractor, you know, shining shoes. And that was hard. I sold stuff in the neighborhood. I sold art pieces, lemonade, you know, all that stuff. But one time I, um, when I was in the Boy Scouts, we were given something to sell that didn't seem very likely at all. We were, they, we were given like boxes of light bulbs to sell. Yeah. It's like, how boring, right? This is, maybe this is how I got the idea that technology could be cool. What badge was this for? Boxes of light bulbs. <laughs> Boxes of light bulbs. And so um, it was the easiest thing I had ever sold in my life. It's like, oh, yeah, light bulbs. I need some of those, <laughs> you know, and they're very lightweight. And so you can carry these things around and you're just selling light bulbs to every single house you go to. It's a pure pleasure, you know. And I think for me, this is the first time I made that connection, but I, I think going to Silicon Valley felt like that. It's like technology. It's, you know, it's easy to sell stuff. 
with technology. It's like everybody wants technological stuff. And, and so here I'm in with this, uh, in this milieu of people doing technology. And where it really started to click for me is when I decided that what I really enjoyed doing was creating the packages that sell software in retail environments. So the physical cardboard packages that you'd put FileMaker or Microsoft Word in, put it on the shelf and try to get people to buy it from the package, right from the package. So here's a great challenge because it's like software, people don't understand it. It's a lot of money. It's hundreds of dollars for something that weighs about an ounce, you Mm. you get a disc or something and a little pamphlet in it. In a, in a big empty box, basically. But no one understands computers and there's competitions on the shelf. So I realized that the battle is right there on the shelf. Like this is the last chance anybody's gonna get to change their mind about what they're gonna buy. Mm. If I can crack that, if I can figure out how to get steer p- people to the right product, presumably the one I'm selling is the right one, and increase sales, I mean, there's no limit to how much you could increase sales because it's kind of like a win-lose proposition with software. People only really want the best software. And once they figure out what it is, everyone buys that. Mm. You know, that's why Microsoft became such a big company so fast. People wanted Windows. I want Windows. That They have it. I need it. I'm buying it. It's like yeah. no-brainer. So, you know, just by trial and error, designing boxes different ways, started to figure out how to do it. And then, then I just call people up and I'd say, look, you're a software company and you don't know me, but I make software packaging and you need that. No rush, but sometime I'd be happy to come over and talk to your team and I'll give you a little presentation called 22 Ways to Sell More Software. Up to this point, cold calls didn't work for me, but this one totally worked because I was selling something nobody else had, nobody else wanted to do. I knew how to do it. I had 22 ways to talk, talk about it. And I could show you some really good statistics about you know sales increases. And I could show, show you beautiful packages. So what I would get from that is they would say, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, maybe sometime we, we could talk about this. What are you doing next Tuesday? And I'd say next Tuesday looks pretty good in the afternoon. Okay, two o'clock, does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds fine. Can we bring some other people to this meeting? Yeah. Can we have like... 15 or 20. <laughs> so we get like the whole company would come to these meetings to find out how to sell more software because they were in the software business. And I had this piece of it that they knew was important, sort of the gating item of the sale uh, that no one else had bothered to specialize in. So I'd show the work, which was very nice looking. And I'd give them the 22 things to think about. And then at the last one was the cost. And I would make sure that the price was like inordinately high. So really high. <laughs> This is the gutsy part of it. And, uh, and, but I'd say, well, you've seen how we do it. So that's why it costs this much. You know, we think about it quite a bit more than other people would. Is it worth it? Well, here's some statistics. And we happen to have some really good sales results of one company increased their sales 500% all across a whole line of products just by changing the packaging. And uh, then Apple came along and, and they gave us a chance and we increased much bigger company, but we increased the sales 40% across 15 products, 40% across a major line of products. That's just free money for them. So they're going, well, doesn't matter how much we pay for this. I mean, it's just, it's the returns are off the charts. Mm -hmm. So I could only do that by narrowing my focus to the point where I knew more about it than anybody else, but also I could get the results that I wanted that were, I mean, incredible results. 
All right, so backing up from there, anybody can do this as long as they have that unique thing to sell, right? That has to be unique. You have to be able to explain it. You don't have to sell it. You just offer it. You just offer it as a solution to somebody's problem. And they have really no other way to get this unless you're a commodity. So now if you're in a business where you're selling something that everyone else can sell, it's much more difficult and you have to go out, you have to look for something else unique. In this case, the work, the, the actual approach we used and the process we used was the unique thing, but there are other things that are unique. Regardless of what your business is, you know that building your brand is crucial, but it's also not easy and good information about how to do it can be tough to find. That's why we put together an ebook called The Relationship Marketer's Guide to Branding, which lays out a step-by-step process for creating a strong brand at a fraction of what bigger advertisers spend. Best of all, you can download it right now for free. Just go to ReminderMedia.com branding. That's ReminderMedia.com branding. Take action on this today. Well, I want to I want to ask you about that process, but like if you guys are listening back and thinking business principles are sort of a, in a linear way, first thing was zeroing in on the target market, right? Who's your audience? Who's your demographic? Who are, who's the only people that you want to work with? Which is so important. We talk about that in this world of specialists will always outsell a generalist or find your niche. The riches are in the niches, right? So from there, you've got your audience. Then you're moving into well, what is the unique product that I'm offering? Then if you caught the 22 ways to sell more software, that's your value proposition. That's your foot in the door to get them to, to listen to you. And then the pricing and making the offer, asking for the close. I mean, it's right there. So how does someone, and I, and I don't know if you want to go over more of that, but like my question would be, if I'm listening to this right now is, how do I do that? Like, how do I get to my only you call it onlyness in your books. Like, how do I, what's the process for getting to that onlyness? Yeah. So you, you know, not everyone has power over that, right? So if you're working for a company and, and you're in sales, you may not have direct access to the halls of power. You may not be able to change all these things. And so you have to deal with what you have. But let's just talk about the ideal situation because you can always push back and say, hey, boss, I could sell this a lot better if a few things were changed, you know? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, I always start with the company itself. What what's what's the purpose of the company in the world? What's the larger purpose? Mm. That's really where everything flows from. So usually if you look, there's a purpose beyond making money. There's something that the founder or somebody wanted to do, and maybe the whole company wants to do that now, that's a benefit to the world. And, and it's really good to just know what domain you're playing in. If what you're doing is simply there just to make money for everybody, and, there's, and you can't think of any other purpose beyond that, it's going to be tough. It's just going to be tough because it's going to come through in everything you do that all you're about is the transaction. You're not mm-hmm. helping that client. And so you're going to get, when push comes to shove, you're going to lose, lose the client because the client is interested in themselves, obviously. So you have to know what that is. Let's, so let's talk about company, I can't, I can't remember the name, oh, Kaufman and Broad. They make housing developments. They, they talk about meeting people's dream instead of their needs. <laughs> that's what they make. They make housing to meet people's dreams. So that's their, that's their passion. They, they're like really thinking about what it is that really turns their customers on, their, their clients on about where they live and not just thinking about their point of view, which is how this cheaper and making increase our profit margins. That's there too. That's easy to think about. No one cannot think about that if you have a business. What's hard to think about is 
how am I going to make this customer's life better? How am I going to let them or help them achieve their dreams? And if you start focusing on that, the rest of gets easy. So in my software business, I was thinking, well, these people want to like take over the world with their software and this is their moment. And the package is like a, a gating item. If it doesn't sell the product, doesn't matter how good it is, they're going to lose, that dream is going away. That whole product, all that investment's going to go away. I can make them in heroes if I do this well, but I have to know what I'm doing. And so then I, I figure out what I'm doing and then I tell them how I'm doing it and it makes sense to them and then they go with it because the money doesn't matter. It's the success that matters. So once you know what your purpose is in, in life, in business, then you can start focusing on, okay, you know, our competitors may have that exact same purpose. They may have the same passion to do that stuff that we do. So how do we beat them? How do we get in first, first place? How do we get the highest market share so that we can make the highest profit margins? So you have to think about what it is that you're, what category can you own? Right. So what did it, what, what, what's the category that only we're going to be number one in? If we have to change, if we have to invent a category in order to be number one in it, what would that be? What would we call it? And let's build that category up and let everybody follow us. The whole thing is to be the head of a category where other people follow you and try to catch you. That's what builds a category and makes it important. So you want to have competitors. You just don't want to have them be number one. You want, you want to be number one. So, I mean, the, the rewards for being number one are just off the charts. I mean, it's, you know, so, so the way you do that is you use strategy. You say, look, what can we be number one in and how do we do it? So you have to think about well, what can we be the only in, even if we have to start with a smaller group of customers. I mean, it's, it's often better to, to lose a few yards, you know, uh, step back a few yards and, and to build something new. But we, the main thing is we don't want to compete head to head with anybody. So how, what is that? What is that onlyness? Now, onlyness, um, like I did it, we were the only ones that have mastered this software approach, software packaging approach. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. It's our product, our, our service is different. Mm -hmm. But it could equally, it, it was equally that our audience was only software companies, right? So they knew that. They knew that everything we were doing, our whole reason for existence was to serve software companies and they were software companies. So they automatically go, well, this is our tribe. These, you know, we need to know each other because we're in this business and we need to know everything that's going on in it. So that's another way. You decide, I'm only going to serve this one kind of customer. So the customer is the only, is the only where the onlyness is. And that's very powerful. Mm. Right? It could have been anything. I could have said, I'm only going to work for medical companies or I'm only going to work for CEOs. And whatever they need, I'm going to, I'm going to be there for them, but I'm going to learn everything about helping CEOs. That could be an audience. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you, you pick the audience. You want to have that kind of onlyness, or it could be the way you do your work, the service you provide, the approach of that service is unique, whatever it is, it better be something that anyone can see without glasses. <laughs> right. <laughs> They just, it needs to be obvious and, and you don't have, it's not about like persuading somebody that you're good at that. It's only revealing that, that you do that. And that should be enough to get them to believe that you are the best at, at it. You don't want to get in a position where you're persuading anybody. All you do is say, the thing that we have is of interest to you, isn't it? Let's talk, let's go from there. Now, how can we use, how can we work together to, to make you a big success? Right. But you have to have that thing. So if, if the customer knows that there are five other choices out there, then what does it come down to? Your personality, 
really? That's all you got? <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's going to be, you know, that's the way sales have been for a long time. But I think it's a, a component. But boy, it's so much better when you have the light bulbs to sell. <laughs> <laughs> I was a cute little kid and maybe I made a good pitch for light bulbs, but I really didn't have to because the light bulbs were fantastic. It was just like the most, uh, like who wouldn't need those because they're always burning out and I don't have to go to the store and I can help the Boy Scouts. You know, it's just like that package was so easy to sell. So how do you make your package, the, the service, the, the product, the price, all that stuff, just irresistible. And if you don't have control over any of that, it's much more difficult. At that point, all you can do is choose what you, what kind of work you're going to do, who you're going to work for. So right. what advice, like in translating that, you know, because I was thinking like product versus you're selling yourself, meaning like if you're a real estate agent, an insurance agent, you have yeah. products. You know, you know, I've read all these books on selling yourself. It's very appealing to the self. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me feel like, really good. I'd love to sell myself. I'm, I could be really cool. I can fake that. So what do you think, like, how does a real estate agent build a brand and following the, you know, the process, they have their purpose, maybe to fulfill the home buying dreams of their clientele. And they move through this process of how do I beat my competitors? Because every competitor is trying to sell homes. Right. Is it, is it focusing in? I mean, I mean, no, we joked a little bit about their personality. Is it in your mind? Is it focusing in on what are they the best at within that idea of real estate okay, yeah buy. it could be it could be structural where um i specialize in a certain kind of let's say we're doing residential property i'm specialized in a certain kind of house or certain price range or a certain area that i know like the back of my hand i'm in i'm invested in that neighborhood mm. right and i'm the one if you want to live in beverly hills you got to have a beverly hills guy mm. and i know everybody there i know who's going to sell their house before they even sell it you know I mean, you could do that. Um, is that a personality thing? Yes, personality is involved, but it's not only personality. It's right. being helpful. So one, another thing I learned that I'll just pass on that uh, I'm still trying to learn it, actually, because we all learn the wrong thing when we, you, you know, in school and everything else, which is we learn to be correct. We learn to be right. And even when we're not right, we tell ourselves we're right, or we believe we're right, we're right, and then we have to convince everybody else that we're right. Uh, and it's great, it's great to be right, but almost impossible, really, to be totally right. And it's just not the right way to go about it. So it's better to be helpful than right. And maybe to be helpful, you need to be right. But just focus on being helpful. So how can you be helpful to your clients? What do they want? How, what, what do you need to know? How do you need to be empathetic? Do you need, really need to know them better? You know how it is with selling real estate is people say they want one thing and they end up buying another. It's just baffling, you know? So um, is there any hope of even knowing what they're going to buy? Because they don't even know in their own minds. They could just like change on a turn on a dime, you know? But at the same time, you don't want to be showing them stuff that just like makes them think you just don't get it, that you're not listening, right? So- I mean, I've, I've been that kind of client where like, my wife and I are looking for one thing and then we end up buying something else. Um, and, you know, I can't even explain it. Well, I could, I could make up a story about it, but, you know, who knows why that is. You know, you, you, life unfolds and things change and you, you're presented with different opportunities and you decide what you're going to do. But, you know, we, my real estate guy was showing us teardowns for like a year. And they're trying to find just the right location with the right view and right price and all that kind of stuff. And nothing was really working and it was just getting really tiring. And then he said, you know, 
I know you're looking for a teardown. This isn't a teardown that I want to show you, but it's just such a cool house. And it was a tear, you know, it was, it actually burned down in a fire and it was rebuilt. And it's just a good example of what you can do when you have a nice site and you can build a house on it, just like you're trying to do. I just wanted to show you this. It happens to be for sale, he says. <laughs> and he's not a manipulative guy. This, I mean, he's always sincerely trying to help, but, you know, but there might have been a little bit of a manip manipulation. <laughs> and, and, you know, brings us to the house and we look at it and we go, oh my God, this is, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. And that's the price. That's pretty darn good for this place. And, and we start figuring, so instead of figuring out how we're going to buy a teardown and, and get that whole process going, it was more like, how do we get the money to buy this thing that we saw, just saw? And, you know, that's what we did. So, you know, he could have just not shown us that and just stuck to his guns. But I think he was focused more on us than he was on the project of finding this site that could be a teardown, you know, opportunity for us. So yeah, that's, uh, that's well, the cool thing is he was focused on us. He listened and had a hunch and followed that hunch. And it was not selling himself at all. I mean, he was he's a very, you know, charismatic guy in his own way but in a natural sort of way, not, not in a fake way. He's, you know, just a, a good guy trying to help, just trying yeah. to be helpful. So anyway, that's a bit of a, a, a detour, but uh, it just shows you that. Yeah, it drives home the point of it's all about solving problems, being helpful, but it's the hardest thing for, for business owners, I think, to do. Even like, you know, Josh and I talk about this a lot, is it's really hard to not be focused on yourself because you have to pay your bills, you have to close deals, yeah. you have to do all those you, things. You're the center of your own universe and it has to be that way. But, you it know, for a moment, you have to start thinking about the other person, the, the, yep. the customer. And, and the, the, your ability to do that is going to definitely affect your success and happiness. <laughs> you know, because if you're able to really solve problems for people, you're not only going to make money, you're going to be welcome in the world, right? Mm. Um, and and they aren't going to come back in two years and say, you sold me that piece of shit. I'm, I'm never yep. talking to you again. Why, you know, why even get into that? Just like um, be honestly helpful and you will really do well. There's just not that many people that are good at that. So, but you know, you have now, to, you I have agree to with build you. those I skills. Think I think it's freeing when you, you all of a sudden shift your whole mindset as a business to where you are trying to be helpful it's better to be helpful than right. I wrote that down and she said it. Like it, it, when you switch your mindset there from your marketing, from your salesmanship, from everything. I always tell my sales team because I have about 100 people on the phones. When you can cross the level to where you truly are calling people to help them, you become a different level of salesperson. And yeah. people can feel that. They can feel that in everything you do. Yeah. Uh, it's in literally how, how your inflection is, how you go about the conversation. I'm curious though, Marty, like the, the steps of building a brand. So you find your purpose, right? You, you're, what can you be the only at, right? That's your onlyness. But then walk me through, how do I actually implement a brand? Right. So if I'm a real estate agent right now, and let's say I have my purpose and I, and I know what I'm the best at, what are the applications of how I apply that brand? How often do I need to show people my brand? Like, is there a certain amount of touch points you need to do to somebody? Is it like, could you give me your advice on that? Right. Well, let's just define brand here for a second, because we're all kind of stuck in this idea that branding is some sort of symbolic um, treatment of your company. That's really old school. It doesn't really apply anymore. That's like, you know, 
my logo is my brand kind of thing. <laughs> that's, that's not happening. Your logo is a symbol for your company. That's all. It's, it's important. But in, in a service business, like a real estate business, your logo doesn't mean you don't even need a logo. What you need mm -hmm. is just a good name. Yep. You could do it in different typefaces every time. It doesn't matter. Nobody, it just doesn't depend on having a gorgeous thing, a, a Nike swoosh or something. Just get that out of your head. Fun to do that stuff, but that's not what you need. You just need a memorable, easy to spell and pronounce name that sounds credible for what you're doing. Where it gets more important is saying where you fit in the world, you know, so that, that the first thing is what category am I in? Commercial real estate whatever, pick something that everyone understands. Then you need a tagline that either you express or just act on without expressing directly. But I, I like to express them if they're good. You know, you, you don't say we're the only, but you express that in, in some way, mm. right? So FedEx, you know, they just said overnight guaranteed, you know, that, that was what they offered and nobody else had that, right? Only, they're the only ones that could guarantee your package would be there overnight. So it's built into the company. It's built into the offering. And that's the way you should do it. I mean, you shouldn't be making up stuff and tacking it on. You shouldn't be trying to persuade someone or make it sound better than it is. The thing itself should be compelling. So you've, you have to have that first. So that's really inventing your product in a sense or inventing what you're selling, your service. You have to have that. And then you just say it in a way that's clear and memorable. And that becomes your tagline. It could be on your business card, on the back of your business card see that a lot you know you have your name and just in your regular information on one side you turn it over and there's five words that say what you are and they're not simply your opinion they're actually something that anyone else in the world can see anyone who knows that category will say that's true mm. that's so true that's exactly and i don't mean that we're you know we're the people company is not a, a tagline okay <laughs> <laughs> that, that's anyone can say that and no one can prove it Every so company has people. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so uh where you know number saying you're number one does not count unless everyone really does believe you're number one in that case it's great to say you're number one <laughs> number one is very powerful but don't say it unless everyone already believes it so it should be you're just saying the obvious right that this is where you live in the world so you have to have that thing that place to stand in the world. And then you just say it. And then you act it out in every single way. So every touch point, a touch point is where customers or clients come in contact with brand expressions. Every place that happens, you should be thinking about how you want to come off, like how you want to be perceived. So it could be your business card. It could be when you pick up the phone. It could be um, if, it, if you're in real estate, uh, commercial, uh, commercial or residential real estate, it's your sign, you know, it shouldn't look stupid, it shouldn't look cluttered or amateurish. It should look like what you are. And presumably you're going to be different than everyone else, you know. So around here we have village properties. This is in Santa Barbara. We have village properties, they're number one. And their sign is, you know, really straightforward. It's on a white background. You can see it against the landscape. It's friendly because village properties, it's a small town. So everybody that works for them has, they're very cooperative with each other. They all help each other sell. There's none of this ridiculous competition, internal competition that undermines the company. So, you know, they do a lot of, that's, those are all touch points. Everyone knows that. And sometimes they're even on TV and they'll show background in the background will be, you know, scenes of Santa Barbara that everyone recognizes and, and appreciates. So pretty simple.
how each agent competes is, you know, they've got their own ways of doing it and they have less room to maneuver. But the nice thing is they're working for a company that means something, right? People know what this company stands for, that they've been around, that they're honest, helpful, nice people, well-connected. They rub shoulders with the stars. You know, there's a lot of rich people who live around here, hidden yeah. back in the hills. And they can once in a while suggest that they know someone without mentioning names, but you know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that one person that was on that one show, that one, one time. show with the, <laughs> yeah, with the books and everything. Um, yeah, that's great. Marty, I have a couple reviews. of trivia. Before we run out of time, I want to, because I want to thank you for everything that you've shared with us. And I think we'll, we'll kind of tie a, a bow on this, but I have a couple of trivia things that I've, I've learned about you. And I want, I want a little bit of background. Oh my God. This sounds, is this going to be embarrassing? So you, <laughs> you auditioned for the monkeys. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. What instrument did you play? How far did you get in the audition <laughs> process? I got it. Uh, I was, um, I played guitar and a few other instruments really badly. Well, I played them all badly. My, my interest was writing songs. And this was in when I was going to art school to become a designer. I was kind of conflicted because I really liked the idea of writing songs for a band. And I had a band and trying to figure out how to like crack the music business. And Another student came up to me and said, hey, you play the guitar, right? And you write songs. Yeah, yeah. And he says, um, you know, there's a big like audition in Hollywood because the I was in Hollywood. That's where the school was. Uh, big audition for a TV series or some kind of some kind of show. And I just thought you might want to go. I mean, you know, you wanted to do this kind of stuff. So why don't you just show up? And I thought, yeah, if, why, why am I thinking I'm going to be, you know, maybe do that unless, unless I'm willing to, you know, show up and try out. So I thought, well, why not? I brought my guitar. There was a line of about, I don't know, 200 people with guitars, most of them <laughs> on their backs and in cases and everything. Talk about not feeling like the only. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just going, this is ridiculous. And I waited for a couple hours, you know, and, to, and these, a lot of auditions, they went really fast. Got my turn and there's like, it's classic bare room with a card table and two people or three people behind it, uh, taking notes and, you know, like keeping track of everyone. And there's a stool. And so I, they said, sit down, unpack your guitar. What do you play? What, you know, guitar, obviously. Play us something. Play us something you, that, you, that you wrote. And so I played a song and they kind of, okay. Play us another one. Played another one. You go, okay. Um, thanks, we'll call you. That was that. You know, no like routine, right? I went, God, what am I thinking? Even like showing up is ridiculous. I mean... I'm not committed to this. I'm, I'm an art student, for God's sake, you know. And so I just forgot about the whole thing. Uh, just chopped it up to something crazy to do. I would guess this would be 30 years later or more. <laughs> uh, well, later I did learn it was the monkeys. I didn't know at the time. So, you know, oh, wow. Then it was like, oh, my God, that, that would have been interesting. So, but, you know, forgot all about it. And then when I was 50, uh, you know, well into my career and doing some interesting things, I get a call out of the blue. And it's some documentary filmmakers saying they're doing a documentary on the making of the monkeys. I said, you're kidding. The making of the monkeys? Even the monkeys weren't interesting. Why would you? <laughs> go, yeah, no, no. People are really now suddenly interested in the monkeys you know, all those good songs. And, you know, it's just like a, it's just nostalgia. And uh, we have a list of all the people who auditioned and you're in the, on, in the short list. I mean, you're kidding. The short list. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were, like, you were in the top 10. I wow. said, you're kidding. <laughs> 
they didn't call me at all. He says, well, you know, they, they were happy with who they got. Oh, I said, that's well, that's crazy. like, that was like my, I was just like the world spun right then. It's like, my God, it could have gone that way. What my whole life would have been, everything that I did would have been different. It was, it was like just seeing a whole other world and maybe not wow. even a good one. But, um, you know, so I was feeling like, wow, man, that was pretty cool and um i'm starting to get sort of my egos being stroked here and i said yeah we'd like to do an, a documentary we wonder if you can come down and be interviewed for this yeah, you know maybe bring your guitar if you can remember what she's saying but just come and talk and i said oh okay when he says, well tomorrow night and i said well you know i'm in san francisco and um they said oh we're in la hmm well never mind <laughs> my ego back down to normal but still it's pretty funny isn't it that uh, your world awesome. could have changed and you didn't even know that it could have changed so tell everybody about what you're doing now with level c.org you're doing these master yes. classes i know you're really kind of anybody by the way if you go pick up like what marty's talking about in terms of this onlyness statement and the, the process to go through this, we're kind of talking at it on a high level here, but if you read this book, Zag, it will literally, we've done this as a company. We've walked through this process and it gives you fill in the blank for being able to say, we are the only blank that blanks for blank. You know, we do yeah. this for these people and it's very unique. So go check that out. But what are you doing with uh, levelc.org right now? So I'm teaching the um, principles in these books. So level C is a program with five courses in it. And they're, they're short, intense courses for people who are already pretty skilled at other things. They just need to understand the principles of branding to take it to the next level. And we certify people at each level. So the first level is the, the main one that most people need because they don't understand branding at all. If they just have that, they'd be set for the rest of their career. But some people want to keep going because they want to make branding the thing that they're selling or the thing that they're doing for a company, you know? And so you move up these levels and at the very top level, you are qualified to be what we call a CBO, chief brand officer for a large company. So that would be the equivalent, say, of what Steve Jobs was doing for Apple. Steve Jobs mm. was essentially a chief brand officer, not a chief executive officer. He was all about product, the advertising, the community of people that supported the brand, all that. He was not uh, the guy who looked at all the spreadsheets and spoke with sh uh, stockholders and all that. That was somebody else, you know, that mm -hmm. behind the scenes. He was the face of the company. And every large company needs someone to look after the brand, all that stuff that represents customer delight. And for all of us that are in branding or sales, we want to work for companies that have those people at the top because it's going to be better for us, right? But you can also become those people if you have the ambition and the necessary skills and just need to know more about how branding works. You can go through this five-tier thing. Take probably take you a few years because you have to absorb each course. But but that's what we're doing. And it's it's a it's a boutique uh, university, I guess you'd say, a tiny university for branding that pops up all around the world. So yeah. we tend to be in London uh, and Europe a lot. On also L.A., Philadelphia will probably pop up in Australia. Will pop up in Chile and you know various times depending. But it's it's an in person experience. You have to go and take the class. But people are reporting very good results from it immediately in whatever they're doing. They're applying these principles. That's awesome. To great effect. So we're really encouraged to keep going with this. And so I have a partner and we'll be building the company around these five courses. That's I awesome. Love, I love how you said customer delight. I mean, ultimately yep. that's what we're in it for. And if you're listening, you're in a, if you're in a big company, 
you're doing it for customer delight. If you're a service-based sales professional, look, you're in it for the relationship. You're doing it for that customer delight, ultimately helping somebody, I think is what motivates all of us there. So thank you so much for being here, Marty. We really appreciate it. You can connect with Marty, uh, martynewmeyer.com. All right, all these links will be in the show notes. You can also check out his agency, liquidagency.com. And then of course, his courses, levelc.org. So all of those will be in the show notes uh, at staypaidpodcast.com. But thanks, Marty, for coming on. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Luke. So awesome. and if you're interested in supporting the show, you can. Uh, there's two ways, simple, that uh, you can do that. First one is to head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, let us know what you think of the podcast, leave a rating there. The second one is to share this podcast with a friend, share it on your social media, let people know about it. If you have someone right now that you know that needs to hear this, please share this podcast with them. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast.remindermedia or find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acre. And here's the action item from this. I would encourage you, go listen back to this because, you know, there's certain podcasts, and it's kind of a shameful on me to say this, but there's certain podcasts that I'm actually interviewing the person and taking notes. And this is one of those podcasts where I've actually been taking notes throughout the podcast because there's been so many golden nuggets here. And so I would encourage you to go listen again but here's the challenge for all of you. What's the action item? The action item is you have to be the only at something. What are you the only at? Look at your business and ask yourself, what are you the only at? Because if not, you're in a commodity business and it's just about being the cheapest or something like that. And we all don't want to be there. We don't want to be in a commodity based business. So ask yourself, what are you the only at? I would encourage you go check out Marty's stuff. He can help you walk through these processes like Josh mentioned, he's helped us walk through it. We've read his books. Remember the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single industry that Josh and I have served in is top producers take action. So take action on that today. 